Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Behold is Matthew's marker for something marvellous. He uses it on a number of different occasions. You can go back just a few verses to verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So Matthew uses this to make very clear that this is something that is noteworthy. These wise men have come from the east to find the one who was born the king of the Jews. We, we sing sometimes, prophets foretold him, infant of wonder, angels behold him on his throne. This is the one who has now been born king of the Jews. Messiah has come. God's promised deliverer has arrived in the world that he himself has made. He who made man has been made man. And he has come into this fallen world in order to redeem the people whom he has loved, those whom the Father has given him. And that makes Matthew to stop and to pause and to say, consider this, that God has fulfilled these prophecies, that this son has been born of a virgin, and now wise men from the east have come to Jerusalem to find the one who has been born king of the Jews. They have seen his star in the east, and they have come to worship him. Have you ever considered that the very heavens themselves were arranged to declare the glory of the Lord? Now, we read that with regard to the mere fact of creation. Whatever this particular star was, they, those heavens have been arranged to show the glory of the Lord, to testify of his arrival. Jesus, then, is now here. God is with us. The saviour of sinners is in the world to carry out his mission of saving mercy. The Son of God is incarnate. He has taken flesh to himself. So what does wisdom do when Jesus arrives? What does wisdom do when the Christ has come? What does wisdom do when the Son of Man takes flesh and blood? What does wisdom do when God the Son enters his creation? Wisdom seeks him out. Wisdom seeks to find him and to worship him. Wisdom takes him as he is and trusts entirely to him. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying... Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. These wise men 
or magoi, or sometimes we translate that as magi. That's the, the, the root word. They, they are some kind of perhaps astrologers or astronomers, most likely from Persia. They may have had some religious function in the society to which they belonged. They may have known something of the scriptures that had been written beforehand. If you trace back, there are plenty of testimonies uh, from Balaam, for example, through to Daniel in that part of the world that there would be a king who would be born of the Jews. They are, in that respect, wise men to come to Jerusalem and seek him who is born king of the Jews because they want to worship him. And I want to encourage you this evening to follow in the footsteps of these wise men. We're going to ask and seek to answer five questions with regard to their wisdom and then apply those questions to ourselves. So then, with regard to the coming of Jesus Christ, with regard to the Christ of God, with regard to the Saviour of sinners... My first question is, how far will you go? How far will you go? Now, we are simply told that these were wise men from the East. Some of the friends who came uh, for lunch with us today said they'd only just discovered that these wise men didn't pitch up the same night that the shepherds did. Notice what it says. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When they were at home, they saw this heavenly phenomenon that told them that the king of the Jews had been born. And so they set out to worship him when they could find him. Now remember what Herod does toward the end of our reading. He says, I want you to go and find him and then bring back word to me that I may come and worship him once he's found out when they first saw the star. Now, boys and girls, when that wicked man Herod killed all the little boys in and around Bethlehem, how old And down were they that Herod killed? Josh? Good. Two years and younger. Why? Because that's Herod's... I think you got the answer, but that's because it's Herod's buffer. Herod's making sure that if the king of the Jews is born in Bethlehem that the safest way to make sure that he has wiped out the king of the Jews, as his intention was, is to kill every infant son born from two years and down. That suggests to us that these wise men may have been travelling not just for months, but for over a year, maybe 18 months or so, and maybe even a little longer, in order to come from where they started to reach Jerusalem. And that was no straightforward journey. I don't think there's somebody here who can imagine a journey that lasts a year. Well, we get frustrated if we're held up in the airport for half an hour. These men travelled for month after month after month through dangers and difficulties. If they needed this star, whatever it was, to guide them, it may be that they could only travel at night. 
That is not an easy road. Now, how far will you go to seek and to see the Christ? It may be geographical distance. I love some of the stories of days of revival where a preacher would preach in one place and then he'd ride perhaps over the Welsh mountains or or something like that and he'd ride into the night, he'd find an inn, he'd be able to stay there, sleep a few hours and he'd get up first thing in the morning to preach again to a crowd. And standing up to preach, he would recognise in that crowd the faces of people who'd heard him preach the other side of the mountain the day before and had walked through the night in order to hear Jesus Christ preached again the day after. How far would you travel to hear Jesus Christ preached? How far would you go to worship the true and living God? How much would you invest in reaching that place where you could gather with God's people? It may not even be geographical distance. How much effort do you put in to seeking after Christ and bowing down to worship him? What pressing on do you have to do to find and to adore the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, there may be some of you who are sitting here this evening who live, as it were, within reach of him. But you haven't bothered bowing the knee to him. Do we really believe that the destination is worth the journey? These men travelled by a dangerous road for perhaps a year or more because they knew that the king of the Jews had been born and they wanted to worship him. How far will you go for the sake of Jesus Christ? Then I want to ask a second question. How much will you risk? How much will you risk for the sake of Jesus Christ? We're not told that they left their families behind, but it is likely that they did so. They've got enough to live on. They're certainly men of substance, but they've left their homes. They've left their familiar place. I mean, they followed a star. I can imagine people thinking that that was insane. They've travelled a huge distance. They've consulted a tyrant. Maybe they didn't realise just what a wicked man he was. When they asked in Jerusalem, where is this one going to be born? They could tell them it's in Bethlehem of Judea. It's not actually here. It's, it's over there. And none of the people who knew where the king of the Jews had been born bothered going. That's off-putting, isn't it? If someone else doesn't bother, I find it very hard to bother. If I said to you, there's, there's, there's something wonderful going on just on the other side of the square, and everybody here went, mm, whatever. Do you think I'd be inclined to go? If if that was the whole spirit, would any one individual say, I want to go there, I want to be there? The Jews in Jerusalem, they knew where the Messiah was going to be born and they didn't bother. And these men still did. They overcome all the apathy and the dullness of the religious people in Jerusalem. And when they found him, they bowed down and honoured a baby a little boy sitting on his mother's lap. 
Now, are they nuts? Are they insane? Is this a fairy story of some kind? No, these men are going to risk everything for Jesus Christ. What about you? What will you leave? What will you risk? So I tell you, for some of you, the greatest challenge, the greatest cost is your own sin. That may be why you have not yet come to Jesus Christ, because you will not leave your sin. There is something you love too much. There is some appetite you cherish, some connection that you nurture, some engagement, some lust, some desire, some greed for something that God has forbidden. And it's too precious to you for you to walk away. And that's why you have not come to Jesus Christ. For some people, family trumps everything. If my family want it, that's what happens. They must come first. It may be my sons, my daughters, it may be my my parents, it might be my brothers or sisters. But you put them before Jesus Christ. What about your reputation? What if to be a follower of Jesus Christ is to be spat upon, sneered at, argued with, even assaulted? What about an easy life? A lot of us are very attached to an easy life, to the latest possible start, the earliest possible finish, to a life that doesn't demand too much, that doesn't cost too much. We love our comforts. Are we ready to give them up in order to have and to hold Jesus the Christ? What about life itself? In one sense, you may never need to lay down your life for the sake of Jesus Christ. But in another, that's all that Christianity is. It is a laying down of your life for him. It is a giving of yourself to him. It's the language of the Apostle Paul. I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. Again. Let me ask you, what is the value that you put on Jesus Christ? Is he worth everything to you? Would you surrender everything else in order to have him? Would you leave your sin in order to be saved? Would you turn your back upon your wickedness in order to have Christ as your saviour? You cannot cling to your unrighteousness and to the righteousness of God in Christ at the same time. You need to abandon your sin, turn your back upon it, repenting of it, and to flee to Jesus Christ. Will you, if God calls you to do so, put Christ above your family, Christ above your reputation, Christ above your ease, Christ above your comforts, Christ above your job, Christ above your friends, Christ above all things. If you know who Christ is, if you value him as he is entitled to be valued, then he is like that pearl of great price, which a merchant, once he'd found it, he went and sold everything he had because he said, I must have that pearl. And I will venture all that I may have Jesus Christ. How much will you risk?
How persistent will you be? How persistent will you be? They came to Jerusalem from the east. They'd come all that way. They believed when they saw that star in the east that it indicated that the king of the Jews had been born and they believed that the king of the Jews was someone that they should bow down and worship. And so they went. They went those months to find the one who was born king of the Jews. And then they began seeking him. It was sensible of them, wasn't it, to go to Jerusalem? Jerusalem is the city of the kings. That's where you go. And and they waited and they asked. They spoke to Herod and then they got the word back from Herod that it was Bethlehem. Now, I don't know about you. Bethlehem, incidentally, is only five miles from Jerusalem. But if I've already travelled 18 months and someone then says, now you need to go another five miles, that five miles is likely to feel almost as long as the first however many hundred that I had to travel. You know when you think you've finished and then you have to start again? You know when you sit down you think you've finished a day's work and then somebody says, oh, you haven't finished this yet, and just trying to get back up out of the chair, every muscle is screaming... When you think you've finished the walk and you sit down and then you have to go and get something from just outside the house and your feet are burning and aching. And you know how that happens mentally as well. Really? I've got to start all over again? We've arrived in Jerusalem. We've come to the city of the king. Surely this is where the one who's born king of the Jews will be. No, you've got to go to Bethlehem. All right, boys, pack them up. And the camels, donkeys, whatever else they've got, they put everything back on there and they make their way to Bethlehem. They're looking for the king of the Jews. And in Bethlehem, in God's mercy, the star appears to them once again. And it stops over the house where the child is with his mother. And it's not an impressive building. I can imagine them saying... Really? All this way and the star stops here? Where's the palace? Where are the guards? Where are the banners proclaiming the royal household? Where is the pomp and the pageantry and the splendour? Can you imagine people coming from all over the world for the coronation of King Charles? And they say, yeah, there's a place in Maidenbower, it's a Baptist church, go there. And they turn up at this building. And they think, really? The coronation here? Isn't it meant to be great vaulted cathedrals? Isn't the stone of Schoon meant to come down from Scotland? Aren't there meant to be bishops in robes and with mitres? Aren't there meant to be scepters and spears and men? It's, it's meant to be spectacular. I can imagine them arriving in Bethlehem and thinking, Oof, city of David, city of something... And this place, this house? How many opportunities did they have to stop? How many times do you think they thought about giving up? Maybe quite a lot in the first few weeks. We sure we've got this right? Do you want to check those calculations again? It really is the king of the Jews, isn't it? Well, I guess that means Jerusalem. And maybe there were storms on the way. Maybe there were wild animals. Maybe there were robbers, brigands, bandits. Maybe there were sicknesses. 
Maybe some of the servants who went with them died on the way. Maybe they were sick. Maybe they weren't quite sure what Herod was about. Maybe when they saw that nobody in Jerusalem bothered to go even five miles to Bethlehem, they thought, well, what are idiots like us doing, going all the way here and then going there when even the people here won't bother going? So many obstacles to overcome. There were so many people who didn't go from the east to Jerusalem. Maybe they knew what the wise men knew. More tragically, as far as we can tell, there was no one who went from Jerusalem to Bethlehem with them. Not five miles. We might walk that tomorrow afternoon. And they didn't bother, though the king of the Jews was there. And when they came to Bethlehem, There is no indication that there was a throng of people gathered around the place where Jesus lay in his mother's arms. Some of you in danger of giving up in your seeking after Jesus Christ. Perhaps you boys and girls who've grown up in Christian homes, you say something like this, but I have prayed, but I have asked. But I have sought God. I've asked him to save me and I just don't know. Perhaps there's somebody who's found out about Jesus Christ recently. And you're saying, what else do I have to do? Is is there more that I've got to, to, to pursue? Is there something else that I need to learn? May I urge you. If you have not yet found Christ for yourself, do not stop seeking, looking, asking and crying until you have him and you know that you have him. You can be confident that he is yours and you are his. Now it might take time, but do not stop and do not give up. There were people who were within touching distance of Jesus Christ who it seems never went to find him. Don't be one of those who just hangs around nearby, but close with Jesus Christ. Whatever obstacles there may be, whatever doubts Satan may put in your mind, whatever friends or family may say, whatever bad examples you may see among Christians... Whatever it may be in this world or in the church or in the the spiritual realm that seems to put itself between you and Jesus Christ, I plead with you this evening, persist until you find him. The very appetite you have is an assurance to you that God is ready to receive you. If God has called you to seek Jesus Christ, then you should find him. You should go after him. The very appetite, the very desire is an indication of God at work therefore do not cease seeking until you find press on until you come to Jesus Christ some of you as it were have lived within touching distance of him you haven't needed to go very far you haven't needed to try very much Christ has been held before you the distance as it were between you and the saviour may be spiritual inches press forwards 
Go on pleading, go on asking, go on crying until you have him and you know that he is yours and you are his. These men were persistent. They would not stop until they had come to Jesus Christ. How much will you give? How much will you give? Now we need to understand this carefully. These men did not give their gifts in order to pay for salvation. These men weren't bargaining that the king would accept them. They were honouring the king that they knew. They were responding to the saviour that they found. And they gave to him gold, frankincense and myrrh. They opened their treasures to him. They knew that there was a king and they wanted to respond to that king in a way that was appropriate. And their gifts reflected two things. Their worth and his worthiness. What they had and what he was entitled to from them. Do you still say it was a gift fit for a king? Do you have gifts fit for a king? Do you value Christ at such a level that you will open your treasures and present gifts to him? If you are a Christian, what are you offering to him? Not to buy him, not to pay him off, not to get something out of him, but because he is your God and your saviour. And he has loved you with an everlasting love. Do you sing the hymn, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all? What is he not worthy of? What are you going to withhold from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? What do you have that he has not given you? What about your love? Do you love him with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your heart? Do you love him who has loved you so much as to lay down his life for you? He hadn't done yet that yet for these men. And still they gave. What about your praises? Do you love to praise the God of your salvation? Do you do it in private? Do you do it in public? Do you render not just with your lips but from your soul the praises that are due to his name? Are your private prayers lists of complaints and demands or are they catalogues of praises and delights and then the requests to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? What about your service, your energy, your hours, your minutes, your moments? Your years, your days. Have you given him everything? Now he might say, I don't need it all yet. Or he might say, I will take it all now. But the heart of the man who has found the king of the Jews is to say, what shall we yield him in costly devotion? 
What can I give to my King, my God, my Saviour, my Lord? These men had kept those treasures over miles and months. And when they found the King of the Jews, they opened everything up and they gave him all that they had. You may say, I don't have much to give. That's fine, just give it all. You may say, I have so much to offer. Good. Render everything to him. What does he deserve from you? All that you have. Why? Because of who he is. And I hope because of who he is to you as your king and your redeemer. How far will you go? How much will you risk? How persistent will you be? How much will you give? Lastly, how low will you bow? How low will you bow? They made good on their intention, didn't they? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And notice what happens when they see the star. They rejoice with exceedingly great joy. When they'd come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him. Gold, frankincense and myrrh. It's buried there in verse 11. When they saw him, they fell down and worshipped him. This is the language and the display of absolute devotion and religious honour. It is a response to a king who is God. Now, some suggest that uh, men from this part of the world would have been accustomed to treating kings in this way, to fall down on their faces and to give him this kind of honour. But I think Matthew's language suggests something more than a merely human reverence. They fell down and they worshipped him. They were on their faces before the king of the Jews who was the king of kings and the Lord of lords who was God in the flesh. There is reverence here and there is awe. There is faith and there is love. Now, there are many people today, even at this time of year, who will tip the hat to King Jesus. They'll sing the songs that you've sung. They'll do the church trip that you have done. They'll eat the mince pies that you've eaten. They'll enjoy the turkey that you've enjoyed. They'll wear the little paper crowns that you have worn. They'll pull the crackers that you've cracked as well. And then they'll move on. And they'll barely notice Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Some people show in him a temporary interest. Maybe they'd even like to talk about him for a little bit. They'd like a debate. They want an argument. Some will offer him just a passing glance. These wise men, when they found him, they fell down and worshipped him. Will you do the same? You may not physically lie on your face, but maybe you will. 
You may not physically bow the knee, but that would be no wrong thing. But I want to know this, if from your heart you will bow to the ground before the Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. My friends, he is worthy of your worship. That is the wise response to the one who is born King of the Jews. My great concern tonight, as on any other Lord's Day, is to bring you to Jesus Christ. To shine like the star. To get you to Jerusalem. To get you to Bethlehem. To get you to the house. So that you know that this is the Christ of God. This is the Jesus who saves. I can bring you to him. I can point you towards him. I can speak about him. I wish I could shine more brightly in declaring to you who and what he is. But once you have come, you are the man. You are the woman. You are the boy. You are the girl who must bow down and worship him. I can tell you about him. I can point you to him. I can speak of him. I can urge him upon you. But you are the one who must take him and trust him. You are the one who must seek him and see him. These men were wise enough to go as far as they needed to to find Jesus the Christ. They risked everything because they knew that he was worthy. They persisted through every difficulty and distress because of the value that they set upon Jesus Christ. When they found him, they gave everything, bowing before him and worshipping him as their Lord and their God. Will you do the same? That is the only truly wise response to the one who has been born, the King of the Jews.